Since the Premier League began in 1992, only seven teams have been crowned champion. In a league now dominated by billionaire owners from around the world, a small town in East Lancashire has a place in recent football history, which looks increasingly out of place with the modern game. Blackburn Rovers won the Premier League title in 1995, only to suffer relegation four years later in 1999. This also means they hold the unfortunate honour of being the only former champion to have been relegated after winning the title. This podcast examines what happens next when Rovers returned to the Premier League in 2001, two years after their demotion, covering the rise and eventual second fall out of the league. Join us for an in-depth assessment of what went right, what went wrong, the good times and bad, and as we try to answer the question of how fans managed to smuggle a chicken into Ewood Park as a pitch invader. Welcome to the Rovers Return podcast. My name is Paul Worthington and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Burns. Simon and I have been friends for many years and I consider there to be three pillars to our friendship. Formula One, Red Dwarf and Blackburn Rovers. Before I bring in Simon, you may be thinking, why this podcast? Why now? Well, May 2022 is the 10-year anniversary since Blackburn were relegated from the Premier League. Returning for a third spell has proved much tougher this time. The football pyramid has been a slippery obstacle for the club since 2012. But more than just an anniversary, the decade period of the noughties were an exciting time for Blackburn Rovers, as as the Premier League's global appeal began to kick into gear. For me personally, it was also a key part of my teenage, teenage years, when football and Blackburn Rovers was my life. American writer Mark Twain said, write what you know. And that's how I feel about this podcast. So I hope you enjoy as Simon and I reflect on this period and give the fan account of Blackburn Rovers from 2001 to 2012. Simon, I'm really looking forward to this series with you. I feel that we've been talking endlessly at the pub for years about these topics in one form or another. So with that, how are you feeling about embarking on this journey together? I am feeling very excited, Paul. How, how, how else could I, could I feel um, knowing that I'm going to be covering one of the, the three pillars, three fundamental pillars of our, of our friendship in, in, such, in such detail? I guess, um, I guess just to kind of uh, to manage expectations, perhaps, <laughs> I'm going to very much be giving the emotive, non-analytical take on why Blackburn Rovers meant so much to me and... And uh, and where where their their performance um, kind of really resonated with with me throughout the throughout the decade, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not Jonathan Wilson, but uh, <laughs> in in the same breath I think um, it's it is it is just such a fascinating period um, for as you say for the Premier League and for Blackburn Rovers who who always seem to have had an outsized influence on 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 I guess the Premier League um, not least because the Premier League embodies the 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 might and influence of, of money and the the bizarre notion that a small former industrial town in the northwest of England Blackburn would be associated with money and money driving success with with Jack Walker in the 1990s but for then that money to start rapidly drying up and for the club to essentially, albeit under the stewardship of the Walker Trust, reinvent itself as a paragon of living within your means, 
but at the same time punching well above your weight during the noughties and giving you and, and I such fast, fantastic memories at, at Ewood Park of, of teams and performances that really, really kind of belied, I think, the, the stereotypical image of Blackburn as a kind of a tough tackling, honest kind of, uh, you know, blood and thunder side, which it, it, they, they were all of those things, but they were a side that also boasted the likes of, of Rocky Santa Cruz, Benny McCarthy, Two Guy, David Bentley, Damian Duff, David Dunn. These kind of players were not were not short on quality. They they were on their day able to mix it with the very best in in the Premier League and, and by extension in Europe. So I just think that this is an absolute kind of treasure trove um, of a of a period and one that's I would say still underappreciated in the kind of the modern canon of uh, of Premier League history. So I'm just very very excited to kind of write that write that collective wrong if you like with you <laughs> and uh, and get and get and get started really yeah i, I like that we're, we're here to we're here to write the history of that of that era and do it justice i think i think that's a fair i think it's a fair reflection you mentioned you mentioned the 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 running of the club from jack walker and i i think it's worth just like reflecting a second there because this era we're talking about for the purpose of this podcast is the post Jack Walker era, who sadly passed away in August 2000, I believe. And the real distinction, I think, in this podcast compared to the 90s is the position we find ourselves competing in the league now in this period. And this is when the likes of Chelsea are taken over and real big money starts coming into the game versus ourselves in the 90s, when, to your point, you know, a local man from Lancashire bought his boyhood club with the sole purpose of making him the best in the league. Now, like that is one of the most romantic ideas you could think about in football. And for me, it's why I think that the story of Blackburn Rovers is so appealing. And it does have that sort of real place in football history that this wasn't about some billionaire owner looking to diversify their, in, their investment portfolio of sport clubs or looking for a, a UK asset to invest in. He was genuinely doing it to put his boyhood club on the map. And I think to this day, it's why I still maintain and will still argue to the hilt that Blackburn Rovers' triumph in the Premier League is a much better story than Leicester because it was a locally grown we're, we're six minutes in and that's that's come out <laughs> I, I love it no <laughs> it's, it's... we're setting out our stall early which <laughs> which clubs do we have do we have beef with Leicester first and foremost no but but it's but it's true though right and, and I I don't think I don't think that should get forgotten that like the, the sort of the, the novelty and just the the real uniqueness of, of the story of Blackburn Rovers and now, someone might say, well, why aren't you doing a podcast about that era? Well, that wasn't the era that you and I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I personally was a bit later to, to football as, a, as like a diehard fan of a club. And, you know, my first season as a real Rovers fan was actually the season they got relegated in 98-99. So I didn't pick a particularly good time to start, to start following the club. <laughs> But that's why it's also the 90s is not the right period for me to, to reflect. And it's also been well covered by other people. What you and I grew up on was the noughties. And it's where you and I met each other and became friends. 
And to your point, like, I genuinely do believe, and I'm sure I hope we can do this justice over the course of the next several episodes, that there was a really fascinating story here involving really exciting players, exciting managers, teams. Yeah, and some of it was a bit of a disaster, and that's part of the story, but it's also the story that needs telling. And I think mm. it's telling from a fan's perspective, because I think, sadly, the end of this era coincided with an unfair reflection of how Blackburn Rovers fans were portrayed by the national media. And I think, you know, hopefully we can just write that ship a little bit. And, and like you said, write the history of our, our, our own way and talk of identifying it. So, yeah, maybe I've started off with some big takes there. So please feel, no. feel, feel free to rein me in. No, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do such a thing. I mean, the big, the big takes um, of, of what I, of what I log on for. Um, I think, I think it's, but it's just so, it's just so tantalizing as well, and so, so intriguing that it's like a, it's like a disaster movie. We, we know how this ends. We know how this decade. Steve Keen is kind of. I don't know, like, is he, is he like the Death Star looming into view? It's, it's, more, like, like, it's more like the Emperor, right? It's, it's not yeah, more like yeah, the Emperor, you know he's there. A Star Wars analogy here that we can kind of latch <laughs> onto. Um, but it's just, as we, as we, I imagine as we chart, we'll chart the kind of ebbs and flows of this era, but by and large, it was a, an era of, of real success, well-grounded, methodically earned success. But then this kind of dark shadow is starting to kind of um, is, is really looming into view. And that's ultimately what characterizes the, the following decade. And I think, yeah, just, just to your point about why this is so interesting, is that in the subsequent uh, 10 years, Blackburn, from being this model club in many ways, I guess a, a model for, for what supporters of other small town clubs i mean and they're dotted all around um the country so almost like a mm. this is what you can aspire to maybe the premier league's a different different place now but that was a, a premier league of largesse you could aspire to compete in that premier league and that was something that i i would like to think was was very inspiring for, <laughs> for football fans across the country it almost certainly wasn't but i'd like to think it was but yeah, and uh, but then from the 2011 through till present day, Blackburn has just been this this basket case of a club in many ways, or the perception has been that it's been a, that it is a basket case. So it's just again, just going back to the original point, I think it's just so I'm just so excited to kind of get into the detail and just to relive some of the the memories of. Um, of what made this club so so intriguing and so exciting to support during this time. Yeah, I, I like I really really agree with that, and I, I think that the start of the the start of that period in the early two thousands was the return of the of the of the of, of Blackburn to the Premier League, and back then, like there was still some money at least floating around from from the from the Walker Trust and. You know, they were willing, they were able to make some big investments like signing Andy Cole in, in, the, in the first season back. Mm. And it's it's impressive to me in hindsight, just how how just like normal it felt. And just it felt that they were they were in a place that they belonged. And it didn't feel that the amount of effort, obviously there's a lot of effort involved but you didn't feel like they were out of place. It didn't feel that they were punching really above their weight to the point that you didn't feel it was sustainable. 
it really was only after several years, and this is where I think it ties into the broader Premier League development, that, to your point, the the sort of, the the, the I guess the power of the emperor started becoming more pronounced <laughs> and, you know, the, 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 the pull of the force uh, the dark side was getting more pronounced in a way that the club couldn't couldn't really couldn't really resist. Apologies for any non-Star Wars fans out here. We will not will endeavor not to do full full on Star Wars analogies throughout throughout the series. Um, but but I think that that for me is really interesting because it just shows you how rapid. And I think that's something it's hard to see in the moment, but you see it when you go back and you look at some of the details and the, the, actually the growth and TV money and foreign money coming into the game, just how all of a sudden this club that felt like we had a fairly sustainable business model in this, in this, in this uh, era of the Premier League, by the second half of that decade, it was already becoming quite shaky. And I, my personal view is that it kind of it demonstrated the fact that this was actually now us living beyond our means, that the way that football was evolving and the infrastructure that we had and the financial resources we had, it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like it was sustainable. And I still think to this day, the club has not worked out what, what it wants. And I think, mm. you know, there are different fans perspectives of that. And some fans will always say we are a premier league club, but you know, I, I apologies. I, you know, I'm a Rovers fan, but like, if I look at it from brute numbers, are we, are we really mm. like based on the, the number of people we get through the, through the door now compared to like, say what the other 20 biggest clubs in the country get. And I think we're really compounded by that issue in the broader scheme of the, of the money. And I think this, this era is that it's, it's sadly, it's also a, an example of the, the downside of the money coming in to the game. Yeah, it, it is. It is definitely. Um, it's a chicken and egg thing though, isn't it? In terms of the, the status and the fans, the number of fans you get through the door will always be, be less in the, in the championship uh, as opposed to the, as opposed to the Premier League. But um, Yeah, but you, but it, it drives the revenue of the club though, is what I'm saying. And I, I think someone yeah. could turn around and say, well, actually you wouldn't have been any, anywhere without Walker's money anyway. And you know, that's a, that's a separate, <laughs> separate issue. Um, mm. But I still think the, the the broader thing for me, looking back, is just that the growth of the Premier League in this period kind of overtook where we were as a business and club to be able to manage that transition. And the way they tried to manage that transition was through a sale, and that sale was a disaster. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I I I agree, and I think it it is like well, good management. And kind of good governance, if 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 you want to put it that way, can only get you so far when the numbers are just becoming increasingly astronomical. And it's something that I've like reflected on in terms of as as, as good as the likes of John Williams, CEO during the vast majority or all of the noughties, was um, as as a I would imagine, and as as has been kind of well documented. Uh, a kind of a leader um, for the for the club. I mean, it's, maybe it's controversial, but the, this this model of ownership took Blackburn into a position where they 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 sold out to a a hatcheries firm, which um, it would appear did not know very much about football, and uh, clearly 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, who, who, who'd have thought? Um, so yeah, it's just a, it's just a really, really interesting one in terms how, of I'm, how do they, how do they, how wonder how that went in terms of like the fit and proper person test. So what do you know about football? You know, based on your business background, so I, I, I get it, right? You know, like Stan Kroenke owns Arsenal. Yeah, he owns also like some very successful sports clubs and sports franchises in the US. Okay, you get sports business. I get it. You own a hatcheries business in India. Hmm. Got to okay. start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah, I guess. <laughs> but it is, it's just like, what, what was the, the model of club ownership that led Blackburn Rovers to the point where they felt, felt with all the options laid out on the table that selling to Venkis was the, was the best choice available? And look, you would have to have had remarkable foresight to see that... It would things are going to go as badly as as they ultimately did, and at such an, an alarming pace. But it's it's just it is it is quite striking considering that Blackburn Rovers' success and what was to your point about Leicester, what was almost unique, what was unique about Blackburn was that they were funded by the kind of the hometown boy who'd who'd done well uh, and reinvested money into the club and and. You, you couldn't you couldn't go further away from that if you'd if you tried than to to sell the clothes to a Hatcheries firm in Pune who yeah. who don't know anything about football and I'm not saying that as a as a criticism of the Venkies that that was just a, a statement of fact at the time so it's a uh, again it, it just what what an absolute what what a spectrum over the course of what, 20 years, pretty much. Like, Jack yeah. Walker buys yeah. the club in, what, like, 1990, turn of the 90s, and then we sell about 2011. So his his tenure, or the Walker Trust's tenure at the top, is, is not that long. And yet, it, it kind of it precipitated the, the globalisation of Blackburn Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> another, <laughs> another example of where globalisation has failed us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Exhibit, the globalization people are there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like but, I think um, you're I think you're you're doing a really good way, way, uh, job, sorry, of teasing, I think, the the kind of the the story of the next few episodes in terms of the, the wild ride it is in terms of the ups and downs, uh, the status of the club and the team's performances and you know the top six finishes, the relegation battles, the sort of the the change of ownership the then sort of like rapid downfall this 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 show will have it all people it really will uh, <laughs> um, it really, and just yeah it, it does it does and it has um has no shortage of characters um i think like great like i i each manager holds a particular place in my heart not a positive not always a positive place but a place all, all, all the same and i think that you, you can't you can't divorce the the roller coaster ride um, from from the manager that was kind of operating the controls at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, but but, uh, but Graham Souness kind of you know he I I just thought Graham Souness was unbelievably cool. It was a cool manager, you know. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. I hadn't known him obviously <laughs> at Liverpool. All I'd known was that he'd he'd planted a flag. <laughs> when, when he was manager of Galatasaray and 
And since then, he'd lost the moustache and, and frankly, looked really, looked really better cool. Better for it. Yeah, better for much, it. Much, much better, much better for it. I'd lost the big kind of puffy jackets and, yeah. and was, was overseeing a, a, a side with, which, which boasted really, really exciting young players. So yeah. Duff, Dunn, that, 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 that kind of jazz. And then you've got Mark Hughes, this kind of cerebral, softly spoken um, manager who just really kind of just quite enigmatic in how he kind of conducts himself, but just so effective mm. and just so just always making the best of what he had at his disposal. Um, he was he was pragmatic in the first instance, but then really put together a team that had a blend of. Of, of aggression, but also real kind of flair as well. So, and then you have quite an abrupt screeching hold with Paul Ince, who comes in. But even Paul Ince, I have, a, I, have a, I, I don't have affection for Paul Ince. I have affection for the decision that was taken to hire Paul Ince, because it was like, we are, we're backing you. We want another young manager. Yeah, it, you understand the logic, right? You understand what I, you're trying to do, even if it was a catastrophic failure. I, yeah, I do. I mean, the logic is is stretched when <laughs> I just look looking back at it now. He was a League Two manager. It's <laughs> 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 the Premier League. I mean, that's just that's just that's yeah, just. But, but his name was Paul Ince, though. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There is that. There is that. But his kind of ill-fated seventeen games, and then you have the the Allardyce. The, the inevitable Allardyce arrival. And it was like, okay, well, this was... But w- w- what that signified, I think, is really is really, is really interesting in terms of... Everybody know Allardyce does not get relegated. Allardyce keeps you in the division. Yeah. You get Allardyce in, then it's almost like, right, what does that say about our position in, in, in the Premier League? And then, yeah, God. And then... <laughs> And yeah, I, I have so many words about the next manager. I almost, I almost don't want to. Um, I don't want to kind of waste any of them. And I'll save them for a for a future episode. But yeah, what what's um, what what the man who, who succeeded Sam Allardyce uh, inflicted on the club um, is. It's going to be very interesting to um, to discuss with you, I'm sure. Yeah, and we, 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 will, we will try to limit ourselves to one episode on Steve Keane uh, in the interest of, uh, of our audience. Um, but no, <laughs> I, I, I think you've just done a really good like whistle-stop tour of the, of the managers uh, in this period. And, you know, I, I like your description of, of, the, of the Allardyce kind of inevitable arrival. And yeah, I mean, he, he I mean, he he did what he said he would do on the tin, right? He was not going to let us get relegated. Alla- Allardyce is the wrong seal. He's the wrong seal of football management. Yeah, he does exactly what he says he's going to do on the tin. And then, you know, not only that, you throw in, obviously, he'll sign El Hadjouf, and he'll also sign an, like, an ex or old Real Madrid star in Michel Salgado uh, in place of his former kind of like Ivan Campo and Hierro. And, you know, you basically got like Bolton 2.0 up the road. And unfortunately, from our perspective, the football was as entertaining as it was in Bolton. Um, I'm sure Newcastle fans would also agree with that as well. Uh, the way the way the way you described Hughes is fantastic as well. It's that that mix of like aggression and flair. And I, I almost wonder how you would articulate that in a, in a in a managerial interview. You know, we play with creative aggression, or you know, because <laughs> we're very, we're very hard and we've got some very very tough players. 
but we will actually play some good football. And I think that was, there were, there, we were a bit of an enigma around then, weren't we? Because we did have this reputation of being, like, at times, quite thuggish as a team. But could you I think, really I think describe... we're being generous in, in, in terms of calling Blackburn Rovers an enigma at that time. I think <laughs> it was only Blackburn Rovers fans who probably thought their team was something of a misunderstood enigma. Everyone else probably thought they were a team of absolute lunatic hard men. But yeah. I do, I'm just so excited about that episode because I love your love of of hard footballers. Oh yeah, I've, I mean that's where it came from. You know, players who will put it, put everything on the line. They'll, put, they'll do, put everything on the line. They'll do it all. They'll do it all. And I, I think particularly, I think why when I first really fell in love with that style of football was Hughes's first season and keeping mm. us up. And it was just brute force <laughs> in terms of the players, the style. And yeah, there was just something, something really workmanlike, and really it kind of spoke to the the, the purity of work ethic. I felt, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, that's 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 an incredibly eloquent spin on things. I love the purity of the work ethic. But, yeah, um, it was, just, and just but just Mark Hughes also just had he said he was such a diminutive presence, and I guess maybe not the best way to describe. He, he just he was quite unassuming but then you would just get little little clips of him where again his yeah. his own innate hardness would come across so just one clip really stands out i think it is where we may have lost to arsenal um but probably left them absolutely battered and bruised <laughs> and like fabregas kind of just comes up and is like oh you you used to manage or you used to play for barcelona well, that wasn't Barcelona football. Mark Hughes is just like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and it's just like, just not interested. And it's just like, yeah, he was he was a, a nice a nice figurehead for the for the club. Got a lot of time yeah. for Mark Hughes. Yeah, and I think I think his era in particular. I mean, this. I mean, the whole Premier League era. I would I would I would sort of classify it as one of just recognizing and appreciating what what you have when you have it in a football club because it's obviously finite and things change and sadly the world moves very rapidly and if you're not always moving forward you will sadly probably inevitably find yourself in a relegation battle and if not become relegated and then struggle to get back into the league like ourselves you know to kind of combine a couple of well to combine one of the other pillars of our friendship you know, thinking about that it makes me think of the line from holly in uh, in red dwarf about appreciate what you've got because basically i'm fantastic <laughs> And I kind of feel a little bit like in hindsight about Blackburn Rovers, like, oh, maybe I didn't really fully appreciate just how special though those 10, 10 years or so were because it felt so normal to me. And to your earlier point, now we've spent 10 years out of the top flight. You just realize how difficult it actually is to get back in. Mm. And it's really taught me a lot about sport and just the, the precious nature of how everything is so transient in success and you really can't, you can't take it for granted. I mean, look at Man United fans the last 10 years, right? It's not been the same as it was for the 20 years before that. And as good as you think things are and as sustainable as you think things are, I think football and sport in general is just so susceptible to big changes and pivots. And I think one of the, to broaden it out for one second, I think one of the bigger concerns I have with where the Premier League is going in general 
is just the sort of like solidifying nature of the top five or six clubs, which feels like if you and I were to do a, if we were to do like a, a um, sort of anniversary edition of this podcast in 2050, would we see another winner in the Premier League apart from Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, out of those six? I would wager good money that we wouldn't. Maybe Newcastle if they can turn things around. But again, that's just a story of ridiculous amount of money coming into the league. So mm. again, it kind of makes me really appreciate the 10 years that, that we had. And I really wouldn't change that for the world um, in terms of like the journey it was. No, no, of course. I think I think we weren't we weren't just surviving. At times we were really we were really kind of competing and we were we were an exciting team with exciting players. Um, I think during Hughes' full seasons, we made it to a semi-final of a domestic cup competition each season. Um, and that was, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's what kind of um, like memories are made of for a, for a fan. You're competing in the league, you're going quite deep into kind of cup competitions. We had a, you know, slightly ill-fated dalliance with kind of European competitions, but you know that, that was all part of the experience. It was all part of the narrative, and I guess it's it's just what made it's what made the ultimate the ultimate demise of Blackburn at the end of this this period just so so jarring and so difficult. Um, and look for every club getting relegated. I used to I remember seeing like like in the noughties what who like who were the who were the yo-yo clubs like West West Brom and I remember seeing like the um, like you, you would go to the Hawthorns the last day of the season they'd been relegated and you cut to the fans and they'd be crying and I'd be like well you've only just gotten promoted you'll probably get promoted again in another season or something like that so you can't mean <laughs> that much and that is an incredibly insensitive and um yeah probably quite ignorant way of thinking about it um Having said that, Blackburn had spent an un, unbroken 10, 11 years in the Premier League by the time we were ultimately relegated. So by definition, we weren't a yo-yo club. So that, that means something. But also, Bolton ultimately were relegated at the same time as Blackburn in that, in that yeah. 2012 season. And there wasn't protests. There wasn't... Um, indignation there wasn't just a sheer controversy around everything going on so there must have been something somewhat unique about what was going on at Blackburn Rovers at the time and I think I I'm really really looking forward to 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 reliving as I said that the good times and hopefully just appreciating them a bit more for what they were because I know I didn't as much as I should have done at the time but I am also looking forward to kind of stirring up some indignation <laughs> at the, the sheer level of incompetence is, is, as, is as strong as I want to put it without getting into like legal trouble. <laughs> but just like the end, the end of the end of this period is just like, wow, how, how badly things can go wrong how quickly is is just is just remarkable and a really kind of to your point a really kind of like salutary tale for all um for all those fans out there that I'm sure we're looking we're looking at Blackburn Rovers as a as a source of inspiration for how their club could be running the in the Premier League. I totally agree with you. I, I lost track the number of people I had a conversation with either at the time of the Venkies 
and keen early era in the Premier League, either before relegation or immediately after. And there were obviously some Burnley fans who enjoyed it. There were some other fans of other clubs who enjoyed the hilarity of of Venkis, the idea of Venkis as an owner. But I always used to try to take the broader perspective that if it could happen to us, it can happen to anyone because there's no one... There's no one stopping this. There's no regulator. There's no, there's no governing body, really. The fact that you can own a hatcheries business with zero background in sport and just take over a Premier League club and run it into the ground in 18 months. There's no one here to save you. And you're on, you're on your own. And even as fans, we tried to, to do our thing and, and battle it, and we wasn't enough. And if anything, the national media turned against the Blackburn fans. And I always used to say to people, be careful about laughing at our fate because our fate could one day be your fate. And I do remember speaking to Portsmouth fans about that and they, they mm. fully, mm. fully appreciated that. And I think the clubs who are lucky enough not to have been through this are sadly, you know, the number of clubs, yeah, they're, they're growing in terms of the, the kind of cases you see of owners taking owner uh, over and it not being what they promised, the money's not there or they don't deliver on the promises and actually they want to get out and they're either trapped or the club just starts to go down in a downward spiral. Like mm-hmm. Blackburn is not unique in that case, but it was the extreme ridiculousness of it, sadly, yeah. in the bright lights of the Premier League, culminating with a chicken walking onto a pitch on the game where we got relegated. That, mm-hmm. that for me was the most grating part of it, that it was just so, to your point earlier, it was such a, to see such a well-run club made out to be such a farcical entity on the Mm. national stage. I just felt so bad for everyone connected to the club who had spent years building this this really respected brand and image up for it to be basically torn down like it was a Jenga tower in no time. Yeah, yeah. No, I... I, I, Sorry, I... I... (laughs) I, just just as, as you were talking, uh, I just had an image of you almost like in a pub, wagging your finger saying, don't you laugh at our my club because one day it could happen to you, which is, is quite a funny image, I must say. But at the same time, you, you're making a really, a really kind of, um, a really like salient point. And um, I think like, yeah, as, as you said, there are a lot, there are a lot of fans, you know, that, that, that kind of like laughed and like t- took the mic at the, at the time, and and there was a, an element of comedy to, to what was going on. But then, I think yeah, looking back, just at some of the some of the kind of coverage on on YouTube for the for the research of this of this episode now, um, you see kind of comments in in like in solidarity from from kind of like Portsmouth fans in particular, but also from even like Bolton fans as well, who have been through their own kind of like mis- mismanagement and financial mismanagement in, in, yeah. in the, in the recent, in the recent past. So yeah, it's, I think it's just, again, just going back to the, to the, to the framing and the, the broad sweep of, of this era. And I guess this, this series that we're putting together, it's almost just like, it's so jarring that in the, in the, in the Premier League, Awash with so much money, with so much glamour, with so much, just, just so much kudos and cachet, you could have such a high profile. I mean, Blackburn, just by virtue of being in the Premier League, Blackburn were high profile. I'm not, I'm not getting ideas above my station here, but uh, just obvious rank mismanagement and a calamitous um, kind of corporate governance structure. 
manifest with a chicken <laughs> going going onto the pitch as Blackburn's sad and swift relegation to the championship was confirmed. It's just like wow, what a what a what a full stop on what up until up until kind of pretty much kind of like two years prior to that things were going yes there, were, there was the odd kind of warning sign yes that I, I do take your point about the fact that times were getting more difficult and the financial resources needed to compete were getting greater and greater but yeah that is that is still some decline and that's it is yeah it is that is something it i'm is. looking forward to getting into it is but, and and I, I I personally believe there is a very strong Harvard Business Review case study in there somewhere, and maybe our former our former player and graduate of Harvard, Ryan Nelson, can can hook us up. With right, yeah, can hook us up with the right contacts because if they want the the example of extreme corporate governance failure in in, in football, then this is it. And just just one thing I wanted to, to sort of reflect on for a second, because I did kind of go on at length about the struggles later in the in the period that we're covering around the financial constraints and things like that. Something that something that I is an interesting kind of what if is if the Walker Trust had just held on a little bit longer. Because one thing I've researched in preparation for this podcast is just how quickly the amount of money from broadcasting starts to escalate in the decade after. And if you look at the numbers, they're quite shocking. So the, the, the overall global value of the Premier League broadcasting rights, both domestic and overseas, between 2001 and 2007 was under essentially like two, two billion. For the preceding decade, so for the following decade from 2010 to 2020, it eventually reaches nearly nine billion it's over a four oh, really? times growth. And, and for the period upcoming 22 to 25, it's over 10 billion. So even though I think of the early 2000s as like the TV money was starting to become big and it was compared to the 90s, the almost exponential growth in TV revenue, I mean, that would have been an extra investment source that the club would mm-hmm. have just naturally got through the growth of the league if they'd been able to hold on with Allardyce for a couple more years. And to me, I'm wondering where was the advice? Where was that consultant stepping in saying, actually, we can see the trajectory of sports revenue and broadcasting rights. You don't want to put the 3 million in a year, fine. You're going to more than compensate for that and more if you just hold on and just see where the trajectory is going. Use your Allardyce life raft, hold on to him for the next three or four years, and then reassess where you are in the mid mid-teens because by that point you'll have a more valuable asset you'll have hopefully just should be more revenue anyway through the through the books and actually you might still have a good 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 um, team going anyway so for me it's an interesting what if if they just held on that's 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 not it that's not it not an interesting what if that's an absolutely like galling awful depressing what if <laughs> in terms of like we were we were so close we were we, we were so we, close somebody, and what's even more galling is who replaced us as that east lancashire team at around the same time <laughs> like it honestly couldn't be worse that we and eventually fall out of the league as burnley come in as the money is getting crazy and the money now is crazy it is it is but yeah. i guess it's yeah it's it's 
I can't in terms of like I can't stop thinking about that. By the way, it really, really. Yeah, really I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be with you now. But um, I guess, <laughs> I guess it's like the consultant. Uh, where is that consultant or that advisor or that that board sense of reflection or long term planning? Well, there were so many players who at that time who stood to benefit. And I'm not saying in, in any sort of, you know, inappropriate way, but there were, there were a lot of people who would have wanted Blackburn Rovers to be sold because in the ordinary run of things, when a big an asset gets sold, people make money out of that. So yes. better to realise short-term gain rather than potential uh, long-term return, if I'm trying to... It's, it's, oh. it's, another, it's another example of the need for long-term investment strategy, basically. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. It's not just. It's not just. So this is chapter two of the of the Harvard Business Review. You've got the kind of you've got the, the case study, the corporate governance, and then the, the need for long term planning. What might have been a, a counterfactual history of Blackburn Rovers from twenty ten through twenty twenty. Honestly, if, if Harvard or any other business review are interested in covering this, I, I definitely feel that we've got the outline of, of a paper together that, you know, I think yeah. we, we can definitely put together. But um, I'm conscious, like, I'm conscious of time. And I want to think about, like, drawing this this initial episode to a close. Is there, is there anything we haven't touched on? Because obviously this has been quite a wide-ranging discussion um, so far. Now, in the following episodes, we're going to start drilling down and looking at it sort of era by or period by period of this of this era starting with the, with the soonest years or the first two soonest years anyway but is there anything we haven't covered or any points you want to highlight to, to conclude the first episode on um i think i think not departing too far from from our our previous discussion about the ultimate end of this area um this era sorry um i guess just a bit of a shout out to, to the blackburn rovers fans who were really, really, really stigmatised towards the end of um, our time in the Premier League. And I don't want to, to give too much away of what we, we, might, we might get into when we re- really go into the weeds of that era. But I think that was grossly unfair. and A, 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 a rank misinterpretation of, of what, what was going on there was no no real sense among a lot of pundits, a lot of large parts of the mainstream media about how much the current, the then mismanagement of the club was really, really hurting the, the fan base and, and by extension the community. And it just it's still it's still kind of great that there is that perhaps lingering perception of of, of Blackburn fans from from that time as as really just just a bit of a rabble uh, who who really uh who kind of deserved deserved what they were then getting so uh yeah i'm i'm looking forward to kind of getting on my soapbox and, and ranting about that even even more but uh i, I think, think back it, to back to basics <laughs> back, back, back to basics bringing john major into, into, into the and simon's going to go 1992 general election campaign <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but um yeah no, no no kind of teaser episode of a of a of a 
of a season on Blackburn Rovers in this time would be complete without a mention of the fans. But, but, what, but what about you? Yeah, I, I would just echo everything you've just said. I, I, I think you're right. I, I think I do think the Blackburn fans by the end of this period did get a tough rap. And I think that's very unfair. Uh, hopefully, if we can contextualize, it's not because it's also it's not just what was happening then. You have to see the, the reaction from fans in the broader context of how the club was doing and run. So I'd like to think that our small contribution to this debate can can kind of hopefully uh, right a few wrongs in that regard. But but my final concluding remark, and it's maybe it's a bit of a somber one, but it's kind of how I feel. Like I I don't feel I'll ever enjoy another period of Blackburn Rovers as much as I've enjoyed I enjoyed this era that we're talking about. And I think. The reason for that is, one, there's probably partly a nostalgic element to it, and it was a key part of my, of, my, of my upbringing. But also, I just think in terms of what we've been talking about today, in terms of the broader evolution of, of football, I look at the Premier League now and I look at our pursuit of trying to get back into the Premier League, and I have really mixed feelings about wanting to get promoted. I like going to away days in London with you at a championship ground where we genuinely could win any game we turn up to. And I have no idea what's going to happen. The idea of substituting that for going away to Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, and seeing probably three certain defeats, that just doesn't, honestly, that doesn't, doesn't sound an exciting experience. And the difference now to this, the, the period that we're covering is that I genuinely felt that we had the ability to compete at that level. And mm. I just really don't see that. And maybe that's me being too pessimistic, but I'm also trying to really dig into the nostalgia of why this period means so much to me and why it was such a golden era for Blackburn Rovers as well in terms of the success that you've mentioned that we had, both in the league, cup competitions, to a less, less much lesser extent in Europe. But yeah, I just kind of want to end on that note that this, I really, really do not think I'll ever enjoy Blackburn Rovers as much as these, these 10 years. So I'm really hoping on that basis that we can do it justice and our reflections on what it meant, the good times, and, and unfortunately the bad, as we go through this era. Absolutely. I mean, slightly unfortunate then that we booked Ben Burris and Diaz for our next episode. (laughs) (laughs) I kid, I kid. No, I I, I completely agree. I completely agree. No, I'm very excited about it. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you for listening. Stay tuned and listen to the next episode when we'll, we'll start... We'll start where it all began and on the return with a revisit to the 2001 to 2002 and then the 2002 and 2003 seasons with Graeme Souness and our re-emergence as the Premier League force. So we will see you then. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you.